Quem nunca ouviu falar de um senhor pernambucano Chamado de Paulo Freire, um latino-americano A Hundred Times Freire Dialogo Centenario Paulo Freire The podcast of the Paulo Freire Center Austria Well, with this music, I welcome everybody. I'm, I'm very glad that we meet for a new podcast, Uma Dialogo Centenario Paulo Freire, a podcast that is dedicated to the centenary of Paulo Freire, who was born on 19 September of 1921, so more than 100 years now. And he was a very important personality with a heavy impact, not only in Brazil, and in Latin America, but also in Europe and in the whole world. That's why we still want to continue his thinking, his struggling, uh, the dialogue he started. And for this today, we invited two, yeah, I want to say specialists, but the term expert is viewed very critically by Paulo Freire. <laughs> but two friends of Paulo Freire, I want to say, Walter Kohan from Brazil and Andreas Novi from Austria, from Vienna. Both are university professors at different universities, Walter Kohan in Rio de Janeiro, And for the moment, he's traveling around in northeastern Brazil, in the region where Paulo Freire was born and started his works. And Andreas Novi is working at the Vienna University of Economics and Business. Both have dealt a lot uh, with the work and the thinking of Paulo Freire with Pedagogia dos Oprimidos, the pedagogy of the oppressed. It was uh, written around 1970 and uh, translated in different languages, uh, published in German 1973 and uh, published now in, I think, 20 languages in a very important uh, number of copies. It is the third most wide cited book of social scientists worldwide. And our title today is about love, equality, childhood and errantry, about basic positions of Paulo Freire as Walter Koran wrote a magnific book about Freire and his uh, philosophical biography. It was translated in English last year. It exists also in a Spanish version and, of course, in Portuguese. And about these topics, we want to come in a dialogue. Uh, but before this, I want to invite you to introduce yourself, telling us a little bit about your trajectory with Paulo Freire. So, Walter, do you want to start now sitting in northeastern of Brazil? What is your history, if you can summarize this shortly and give us some short insights? Thank you so much, Gerald. In fact, I am not a Freirian, I would say orthodox. I, I, it's not that I have been uh, all my life dedicated to study Paulo Freire and to develop his ideas. I, I was born in Argentina and I studied in Argentina and I studied philosophy and, and Paulo Freire was not even read at that uh, undergraduate. And my, my first formal contact with Paulo Freire was at the Montclair State University. I was doing my PhD and my former, my mentor, Matthew Liebman, he arranged some classes for me to give and there was a a class called Philosophical Orientation to Education. And at that class, one of the three compulsory bibliography was Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed. So it was a strange uh, first academic contact because I had to teach him and I had to teach him in a foreign language, both for Paulo Freire and myself. And it took me some time to write and publish on Paulo Freire because I was kind of 
very worried. Paulo Freire has been put in a very uncomfortable place. I mean, in Brazil, you need to love Paulo Freire or to hate him. But it's very difficult to think with him, to, to dialogue. It's like a paradox. But in any case, when the political situation of Brazil become worse and worse, after 2016, when the cup, the impeachment of Dilma and the constant attacks on Paulo Freire, I felt myself I should take part in this discussion. So I felt like obliged, I would say politically and ethically obliged to write something and intervene in the public sphere about Paulo Freire. Thank you very much. Interesting, um, fascinating history coming to Freire via some travels uh, in through other languages also. So Andreas Nove, I think he also read Freire in uh, multiple languages. <laughs> How did, was your first contact with Freire? Why were you reading it so often, as you told me before? Yeah, I got in contact with Paulo Freire via my interest in the 1980s already on theology of liberation yeah, and Christian-based communities and uh, this spectacular form of making the oppressed uh, subject of political transformation after more than two decades of dictatorship. Mm -hmm. And up to today, uh, this, this idea that changes have to come from below yeah? and you have to think about transformations from starting from the oppressed has been a key inspiration from my side. And what we did then uh, nearly 20 years ago was founding the Paulo Freire Center in Vienna uh, based on the key insight of Paulo Freire that his key ideas Uh, have to be applied contextually, have to, to be applied to uh, different contexts in a different way. And that's what we tried, uh, uh, transferring his ideas from a peripheral context of uh, rural Northeast uh, or uh, uh, peripheral Brazil to a rich country and a rich city like Vienna and Austria and looking uh, for uh, and trying to understand what might be prairian education in, in Austria. Thank you for this short insight. I hope you got some answers. <laughs> the question you raised with these activities. Yes, in 2004, we founded the Paulo Freire Center in Vienna. Andreas Nuri was the, yeah, he had this idea and he developed the concept. And with this, we want to contribute to memories of Paulo Freire, but uh, to remind Freire always mean to reinvent him and to rewrite his writings uh, because he is not a sarcophage of Egyptian emperor, something like this. Yeah. Walter Cohen, you, you wrote an interesting book. I mentioned already about the philosophical biography and you structured it with some titles, Love, Equality, Childhood. And Love and Equality, I think they are, these are concepts we can find in the pedagogy of Oprimidos, uh, more or less directly. The childhood is not mentioned very much by Freire. Why didn't, uh, did you like to write so much about childhood and child questions? Because Freire, his speciality is to make adult education. Is this not his special concept? Yes, you're right. And maybe because I was pushed by this idea of Freire that he insists that we should reinvent him. And I think that there are many things we need to reinvent in education. One of them is childhood. 
And I think that Paulo Freire helps us a lot. And it might sound paradoxically, but I think that Paulo Freire's commitment to adult education is also linked to his strong commitment to childhood, but not childhood as an age, not childhood as a quantitative time, but childhood as a state of life, a state of existence, a possibility of existence. Childhood as curiosity, as surprise, as enchantment. And Paulo Freire many, many times declares his love and his commitment to childhood, to this childhood, not to chronological childhood, but to childhood as a condition of education. So if we don't experience childhood, Paulo Freire says this in as much forms as he can. If we cannot keep alive our child, but not only our biographical child, if we don't keep the time of childhood as a time of questioning, a time of dreaming, a time of utopia, of hope, of revolution also. If we don't keep this childhood alive, there's no possible of real or true education or emancipatory education or liberating education. So I think childhood is a very strong concept in Paulus Freire's work on life, even not too much attended. Childhood as a time of revolution, of utopia, of hope, Andreas Nove, is this also your concept of revolution and the form of learning that Paulo Freire tried to initiate? I would totally agree that curiosity is one of the key concepts when, when talking about Freirean education. I would take up the point of reinventing. And indeed, I think it's, it's necessary to reinvent. And if I very quickly look at these last, or oh, these 60 years when Freire inspired us, he himself reinvented himself. And I think we should continue doing this with Freirean education. And I think that the first step and his key contribution was working on these dialectics that you have to take side, uh, you have to have a position and you have to dialogue. And that's why uh, in, in the pedagogy of the oppressed, it, it's a very clear left uh, approach to politics and education, but it's a very severe critique of sectarian and dogmatic politics. Uh, so he, he very clearly uh, distinguished himself from all type of dogmatism. And I think that's really crucial for, uh, for understanding him. Uh, in the next round, I would say that he himself, uh, also he then became even a politician in state secretary or city secretary in Sao Paulo and so on. He's turned more towards uh, the Freire that Walter is exploring, uh, really understanding education, not as a method, but, but as a posture and an, an attitude how to, how to learn. Uh, but I think that the last five, ten years force us somehow to return to, to the original topic and to make uh, Freire more political again. With Bolsonaro, Trump and others, it is not possible not to be political if you are an educator and you have to avoid being dogmatic. And what does this mean? And I think you can learn a lot from from the way how Freire deals with contradictions and this dialectical tension. The tension you feel also in Brazil directly, Walter, I think, for the moment. Yes, yes, because 
the, con the contradictions, as Andreas has pointed out, are like, they, they have all, always exist, but it, it is as if they have been more explicit and more clear, even with the pandemic. So um, the forces that are now in power on Brazil are clearly against the oppressed, all, for, all forms of oppressed. So it's, it's more and more difficult not to take sides or, or to think that you cannot take sides. And this is, in this journey I'm doing now, it's very um, concrete because in many, I am, I am doing a journey to celebrate the, the century, the 100 years, entering all forms of popular education and, and even schools. And many, many times I, I propose or I offer what I call a childlike pedagogy of the question. And in many times teachers and educators and and children even, they want to know about Paulo Freire because they, they cannot understand why someone who is internationally acknowledged as one of the most important educators in the world, here in Brazil, by the government, is considered an enemy of Brazilian education. So it's really something very difficult to understand. So how can someone be so much appreciated elsewhere, be considered by the government, the people who are in charge of the educational policy in Brazil, an enemy of this education. So it's a very, in a sense, interesting moment to reinvent Paulo Freire and to see and to help others see what are the contradictions that make Paulo Freire occupy this very uncomfortable position. Some years ago, Paulo Freire was named the patron uh, of the Brazilian education. So the political changes are very radical, I think. I think this, the reception of Paulo Freire in Austria was different. It was more the ignorance than the, the way to say, okay, um, he's the enemy of education. Or how would you um, describe this way of reception in, in Austria, Andreas? I think we don't have Bolsonaro, but I think this idea that education must not be political, politics-free education, this idea is also strongly present in Europe. And I think it's a way of avoiding this tension uh, that uh, there are certain topics where you cannot be and must not be neutral. Uh, you cannot be uh, either in favor or against climate change policies uh, or COVID vaccinations. So I think you have on the one hand ethical questions and also issues of enlightenment, yeah? because uh, I consider Bolsonaro, Trump, also movements of anti-enlightenment and anti-modern yeah? uh, as somehow uh, all of the oligarchic politics in, in Brazil have been for, for, for centuries. And here again, I think it's uh, at, the, at the philosophical level, that's a real challenge for us interested in Freire, that Paulo Freire himself, he made some type of postmodern turn, personally shifting towards topics of diversity and uh, multiple truths, we, we could say today. Huh? Uh, and then we are confronted with fake news uh, and anti-enlightenment. So these tensions remain and there is no uh, other solution than with curiosity, trying to, uh, to find the concrete strategies uh, and, and approaches in, in, in the respective contexts. And I would argue uh, that definitely what is needed more today 
is this focus on the political, which to, to put it very simple, because today there was an election in, in, in the US. One thing is to educate uh, US citizens. The other thing is to win elections. Yeah? And uh, it's really a catastrophe that uh, if the Democrats lose next year, the Senate and, um, and House of Congress and, and, and the elections, because that's really, really a civilizational threat. Republican Party, Bolsonaro and others. So, um, yeah, I think this is really difficult times we're living in. And somehow the times that Freire faced in the 60s with the threat of dictatorship. So we came back to our situations of the 60s and in between there was a sort of postmodern phase. Uh, Walter, do you agree that Freire had a postmodern turn and uh, dealing with multiple truths? Uh, you are a philosopher also and teaching philosophy and dialectics. Yes. And <laughs> yes, I agree. And he even declares that in, in Pedagogy of the Autonomy. I think in English it is translated as Pedagogy of Freedom, but it's Pedagogy mm -hmm. of Autonomy in Portuguese, his last book. In Germany, it's Pedagogik der Autonomie. Mm. Title in German. You have been more more literate, more, <laughs> more yeah, and, and I think he declares there that uh, there are two kinds of postmodern. He he calls himself a progressive postmodern, which I think has to do with what with Andreas was saying now about the importance of politic political commitment, because one of the things I don't like categories. I, I, I don't like too much to, to say people, oh, they are postmodern, they are not. But I think one of the things about postmodernism is that one of the challenges is that it has been accused of political conservative. So postmodernism has been... So I think this is also why Freire uh, introduces this idea that uh, he's a postmodern in the sense of not accepting modern modernity, which has, especially in our countries, lots of problems and, and implications. So he tries to, to accept the, some critique to modernity, but at the same time maintaining his political commitment with the oppressed. And as Andrea said before, also the, the idea of the method of Paulo Freire, which is so much emphasized, Paulo Freire more than once says that he didn't have a method but that what he had was curiosity and political commitment with the oppressed. So I think this is the base of a progressive postmodern. So curious in the sense of not trying to accept universal truth, objectivity, and all these modern ideas, but at the same time, a clear political commitment to transformation because the world is just unacceptable the, world, the way it is. So I think it's a good way to see Paulo Freire as a progressive postmodern. Fascinating thoughts, uh, Andreas. What do you think? Is this possible to be on the same time curious and to have this epistemological curiosidade uh, that Freire describes, and on the same time this positionality, so to have a clear perspective? You, you told a lot about the leftist view he has and the necessity of yeah, critical work. It seems in a certain regard to be an antagonism. It is an antagonism. And that's why uh, dogmatism is so widespread, yeah? because uh, dogmatism is simply solving the, the tensions by uh, 
sticking to one uh, or the other extreme. And you can also have dogmatic forms of climate politics, uh, but very definitively you have to take uh, side. We are, uh, these days we have the Glasgow uh, conference and uh, neutrality uh, is is not the way how to deal with curiosity does not mean uh, uh, everything is possible and and everything is neutral and the same same value her curiosity is a curiosity trying to read the world i think this is a very beautiful approach and i agree with Walter. that it is not the method <laughs> it's a, it is a task yeah? and uh, and i think this reading the world understanding it as a precondition to act in it uh, this is profoundly frarian and this is an individual task uh, i as an individual person and it's a collective task we as societies how do we deal with with the challenges we are facing so I think this is exactly the, the human contradiction yeah, we, we have to face and as individuals and societies try to solve. And there is no, no way, whenever you, you try to avoid it, you are most probably already in the trap yeah, on, on one or the other side. Bolovoy can also help uh, in these climate uh, debates. It's a very important uh, help, perhaps. Uh, one term, the last term in your chapters, is the errantry. Walter, what was your idea to put errantry so prominently in this thinking about Freire or reinvention of Freire? Well, on one side, it has to do with what I call the philosophical and popular school of Latin America pedagogy where this idea is very strong. I, I think especially in Simon Rodriguez, which, is, which was the, teach, the master of Simon Bolivar and has his famous mode, we err, we, we invent or we err. So it's, it's a tradition, I would say, of pedagogists and philosophers that think that the idea of displacing or wandering is uh, very important or a condition to an educator. And it, it is also a nice word, and we have experienced this in our preparation of the talk, because air has two sides, and, and both are important for Freire. On the one side, it, it, it's about giving a positive value to mistakes and to, to, uh, to accept that we are fallible, we are, we are incomplete. So that's why we can make lots of mistakes and this is not a problem but they are opportunities to to learn and to to find who we are and also the idea of errant which is a very specific form of traveling usually it is considered that the errant errs because she doesn't know where to arrive but in fact an errant is someone who knows that to really travel you need not to anticipate the destination the place where you are going to because in, in that and this is very political because this ha has to do with listening to the others and do not pretending to bring the others the students we could say to one place you have already anticipated but we with sharing a trouble where we all listen to each other and we think together and pay attention to the senses of the travel itself so around three is a metaphor for, I think it's a very powerful metaphor for education. Education as a form of traveling, both mentally, but also physically, because in the pandemic, 
we really traveled with our minds, but now that we can again touch each other, meet each other, uh, hug each other, we realize that education is really a body enterprise and traveling and displacing with our bodies is also an extraordinary way to open, not only for ourselves, but for those who which we, we encounter the possibility that education brings always. This is to put the world into question, to read and reread the world as Andreas put it, and also to dream with other words. So I think that errantry is a lovely metaphor to, to, to reinvent Paulo Freire's ideas on education. Errantry as a way of traveling also in teaching. Andreas, you are a university teacher. Is this your way to teach the errantry and it's, the learning? It, it's really funny listening to you, Walter, because it, I really, I, I feel how divided I myself are. Yeah. Uh, because I totally agree listening to you. Yeah. And then there is, and that's dialectics, then there is my other half yeah, that uh, when I think about Clasco, yeah, uh, I, uh, to use these very well-known terms, we need a clear, a common path combating the climate crisis and we need uh, targets and pursue in this direction. And I... I would argue this having a clear path is correct, that errantry gives you the cautiousness yeah, that rigid uh, uh, planning uh, might turn out to be very dangerous. So it's, it's a tension. Yeah? It's, it's a tension. And what uh, Walter describes is a very com important component in these, uh, in these tensions. We now slowly come to an end, speaking about tensions, contradictions, but challenges, also utopias and perspectives. What can be your wish uh, now at the center centenary of Paulo Freire? Um, do you have a wish, Walter, in regard of this celebration? Well, yes, many, <laughs> many wishes. I, I'm not sure if, if they, were, they will be realized. And I, I think Paulo Freire's sentinel has been a very interesting moment because I, I think that probably because of the very difficult moment of Brazil, uh, we have celebrated this century probably with even more joy and strength and commitment that we have done without this political situation. So the, the celebrations are elsewhere, everywhere. And many times I, I listen to the argument that why the government is so opposed to Paulo Freire if the concrete and real practical Brazilian education has very little to do with Paulo Freire's ideas. So how... How can they want to expert someone who is not practiced? And let's say that my dream, one of my dreams, I hope, is that Paulo Freire's ideas can be more practiced elsewhere, but also here in Brazil, where it's so much needed. Thank you for this wish that Paulo Freire's idea become more practiced. Andreas, what is your wish for this uh, celebration of the centenary? Taking, taking up something that Walter said uh, at the beginning, I think... Uh, uh, that we have the, 
the capacity and the energy to, to reinvent his ideas for the 20, 2020s, for these years to come, you know, that we learn yeah, and um, collectively learn to read the world uh, and have the curiosity uh, to, to discover new pathways. Curiosities and new pathways. I think these are great words to finalize our short talk about Paulo Freire's centenary and uh, yeah, love, equality, childhood, and the errantry. Some uh, we had a wonderful dialogue, uh, very respectful about basic positions of Paulo Freire. I see muito obrigado at my two guests. Thank you very much, Walter Cohan from the University of Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, now traveling or in errantry in northeastern Brazil, and to Andreas Novi working at the Vienna University of Economics and Business. Thank you for your great uh, impulses for our reflections about Paulo Freire. I think um, the reception of Freire goes on, the reinvention, the reenactment, the continuation and rewriting of Freire's thoughts. And with this, I say goodbye and good evening. Thank you very much. Hey, viva Paulo Freire!